0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to 1 Billion Raving Fans, a podcast from the people at Waitwell. I'm your host, Shannon Vandermielen. I'm fascinated by the art and science of service excellence. Why do some brands have customers who are so loyal that they act like raving fans? Our guests share their perspectives on customer experience and offer tips you can use to create a culture of fandom around your business. I'm joined today by Rob Park, COO at Halsam, and we're going to be talking about building a brand differentiated on customer experience. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Shannon. How are you? Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here. It's a, it's a topic I can talk a lot about. So let's pack it into a timeframe that your listeners are going to check in for.
0: So before we start talking about customer experience, can you just tell us a little bit about HealthSum? What is HealthSum and what's your role there?
1: So HealthSum is a payments company. We've given ourselves a lofty goal of being the most loved payments company. So uh, what does that mean? We serve largely small and medium-sized businesses. Like when you think about business, everybody starts from a standpoint of having an idea and then being like, well, how am I going to get paid? Credit cards, bank payments, all that sort of stuff. So we are here to deliver a better payment service for small and medium-sized businesses so that we can kind of help them run their businesses and let them grow.
0: That's great. Most loved, that does seem like a lofty goal. I mean, as a business owner myself, I don't mind my payment processor. I can't say that I love them.
1: That's a common, common response we get from people.
0: Do you think that working in an industry that, you know, has some negative associations with it, does that make it more difficult to differentiate and to get that love? Or does it make it easier because the bar is lower?
1: That's an interesting question. Like, I kind of think of it in two ways, or it's like a two-sided thing. Being in an industry like payments like we really came into it knowing that the reputation wasn't great and the experience was poor, generally speaking, right Why is it that way you know long-term contracts with hefty cancellation fees, hidden fees, misleading sales practices, stuff like that so you know HealthSum started as a small company without a ton of cash, bootstrapped, and there were limited levers we could pull to differentiate and one of the things we really Could sink our teeth into and run with is this like we will be the good guys in a less than stellar industry and so what that meant for us is like from the standpoint of is an advantage absolutely because it's a it is a key differentiator a lot of our competitors can't do the same things we do because they have structural business models that get in the way of it but it also is a huge challenge because as you kind of were saying like our customers meet us with this preconception of who we are and we have to overcome it it can be a lot to overcome for some of those people. So, you know, we have to kind of just be diligent about kind of talking to them and helping them understand what we do and showing that we're different in order to kind of live up to that most loved payments company vision.
0: So at Helsum, do you have a definition of what a successful customer is?
1: It's interesting, like early days, it's just like a successful customer is one who processes payments. Yay, they signed up and they use our service. We're super happy. We've gotten a bit more savvy with data over the last little while. And what we've come to see is like an average user who's using our platform and our service well will spend about four hours a day in our software. And they will use an average of like four different tools to collect payments and interact with their customers. And more advanced users spend about six hours and use six tools. So I think from my standpoint, I like to look at those as a little bit more of an indicator of a successful customer because it just says to me, they're actually like, In the system, using the tools and the software to really run their business. And we're providing value through what we're building for them. So um, that's, I think, my more recent definition of successful customer.
0: And what industries do you serve? Is it very diverse, small, medium, large?
1: Yeah, 800 different industries. Yeah. You name it. Like, we're great with a lot of different industries and different business types. From we've got lawyers and doctors and chiropractors and accountants and mechanics and You name it, it's across the board.
0: And is there a split between online and in-store?
1: It's interesting. Like that split used to be more visible, I would say. The nice thing about our platform is it's what we call omni-channel or omni-commerce, right? So compared to a lot of places where they have split systems to run online and in-person, our system does it all in one. So it kind of blends the whole experience together. And what we've seen because of that is like when businesses had to pivot for COVID and that payment activity went from being more in person to more online, we were able to handle that quite well and the pathways for our customers to adapt. The changing times are all there in front of them, ready to go.
0: Okay, so let's talk about culture. I mean, I'm a big believer that it's the foundation of customer experience. You don't have a great customer experience if you don't have a great culture, if the people who are delivering it aren't happy. You know, you're headquartered in Calgary, as, as am I. How does being in Calgary affect the culture that you have at your company and how you're able to provide customer experience?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Like Calgary is a great, great town. We've got lots of peppy, adventurous people. And, you know, we hire amazing people into our team. And there's an A-plus team right here in the city. Like basically the whole team is in Calgary here. I think when you asked me that question, Calgary obviously has a lot of advantages as an employer, you know, and also as like a lifestyle for your staff, as far as the cost of living, that sort of things go. But I think the bigger advantage is just having the entire team work from HQ. Like, you know, we were talking previously and you said you guys didn't outsource and it's like, neither do we, and like our entire team is here. And I think what that means is like, whenever there's a problem to be solved or a question to be answered, everybody's like, together and you can just walk over to the expert and talk to them and get an answer right away versus having that physical separation that I can think bring fatigue to customer experience because the people who are providing like the service and the help can't go talk to the people who build and make the product. So from my standpoint, like the biggest advantage is actually whether it's in Calgary or Airdrie or Edmonton or Vancouver, like having your team together in a significant way that can speed their ability to help your customers and help them in a more complete way, I think is the bigger advantage.
0: Right. It's not the city, it's just being in a city together. What about during COVID? Were you working remotely and did that change the dynamics of the team at all?
1: Yeah, like working remotely, I mean, it's something we had to do to get through a rough time, obviously. I think from the team dynamics standpoint, like there was still like that ability to have very deliberate conversation. Most of them had like pre-existing relationships with each other from when we were in person. So that bond was formed. I think you saw it a little more, like more of an issue with new staff because they didn't have those bonds with existing team members. And it was harder for them just to reach out and answer questions overall. But what we lost, I think, in, let's say, the remote work were the kind of spontaneous conversations between teammates that would lead to new ideas or different ways to solve problems. I think the deliberate, kind of straightforward stuff kept going, and the pre-existing bonds helped with that. But the spontaneous new things did suffer a bit, that kind of creative combustion that happens and people from different teams just bump into each other. like When that stops there is an effect kind of probably across the whole company, including in customer service, as far as kind of being apart from each other goes.
0: I agree. It's important for, you know, products and service and development to bump into each other in the kitchen or whatever. That's where a lot of the magic happens when it comes to tech.
1: Because it's like, we're all very specialized these days. And, you know, we have our team members are amazing at what they do. But it's like when you spend all of your time just looking at the same four walls, thinking the same ways, like you kind of, might miss like a really cool idea or a really great way to solve a problem that just having a conversation outside of those walls would bring you.
0: So, what's your long term approach to sort of the remote hybrid work from home question that everybody's talking about these days?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We're hybrid. So, at the moment, we do two days at home and three days at the office we do it that way for several reasons not to say that's like how we think about it always i mean you know our business will be different in a year or two years from now and as a company scales the demands on the team and how the team works together changes but at the moment like we we have a very like a a team of juniors we love hiring juniors in the city giving them opportunity you know it's, it's just something we've built a company around and we really support that and what we find is like if you're doing a lot of Hiring of juniors, like they really need to be amongst their peers and their leaders and be able to ask questions and like share a screen together and just go through it. So for the time being, we've settled on kind of hybrid for those reasons to mentorship, leadership development, making sure the juniors know that they can ask questions and find their way through our crazy business as quickly and as efficiently as possible, bringing them support through that. It's a very controversial topic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think that um, how well hybrid or work from home works for you really depends a lot on where you personally are in your career. If you're 15 or 20 years in and you've got your established network and you've got your connections, it might be a lot easier for you to say, you know, I'm going to skip the commute and I'm just going to work from home. But, you know, if you're just starting out and you haven't had a chance to, you know, build those workplace skills, make those connections, establish a network, I think it can really put you at a disadvantage in terms of moving forward.
1: And you can get such a good feeling about where your people are at just by kind of observing and seeing them in the environment, right? And just subtle cues that can help you ask questions to help them more. So when you go remote, you, you lose that, so. It's not to say like, you know, like there's a, there's companies too. like if you have a, a multinational company and you have somebody at that company who spends most of their time on like digital meeting calls anyways, because your coworkers are in Singapore and Toronto, then yeah, maybe in office has less meaning for you. But for a company that's so closely tied to each other and really like trying to bring amazing change to an industry and change how things are done, like having us all together is a big advantage at this point in our growth.
0: Okay, so talking about customer service, I mean it can be a hard job to be the person who is picking up the phone and dealing with complaints and escalations. What do you do at HealthSim in order to sort of support, you know, because at the end of the day, it's what people are looking for is a human to solve their problem, right? Or a human to hear their problem. And yet if your job is to deal with complaints all day long or to, you know, support customers in that way, you know, it can be kind of draining. So what do you do to support people at Helsum whose role it is primarily to serve customers?
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's really like you go back, you were asking about culture and it really comes down to culture. I think a lot of time, like customer service and like, let's say the operational teams, like I read a lot of business books and it's like, they're rarely ever discussed in those books. It's It's about the engineers and the creative people and the marketers and all that sort of stuff. But I'm sitting there reading, like, no, but Netflix. How do you treat your customer service people? How do you drive this? They've got an amazing company. Like, the No Rules Rules book is one of my favorite, as far as like how to organize the company, how to create a workplace that encourages autonomy and critical thinking and good judgment and all that sort of stuff. And it's like they just they don't touch on customer service and trust and safety and kind of the day-to-day operational role. So, I think making sure you keep those functions close to your heart and in your decision making and valuing that as much as you'd value any other function of the business is super important. So from our standpoint, you know, we've got this big goal of most love payments company. And one of those core pillars for us is customer service. And so whenever we are making decisions about our experience, whenever we are talking about things we're doing in the company or investing in technology or tools like customer service and trust and safety and the ops teams are very, very much a part of those conversations and we prioritize their needs and their presence as much as anybody else's. So I think from our standpoint, that's super important. And then what you need to do is, you know, like you said, they're picking up the phone calls or dealing with the customer every single day. You need to provide solid pathways for them to take the challenges they're facing and bring it into feedback that makes a difference in the company and its products. We've always made it a part of what we do, but we've really actually had to double down on it, creating those solid lines of communication between teams who deal with the customers and those who build the products, because ultimately your teams want to see progress as much as your customers do. They don't want to be dealing with the same problems over and over again, if they can be helped. So making sure that those pathways are there so they can find utility in the conversations they're having, instead of just like kind of feeling like it's a hamster wheel. So to speak, and it includes leadership. So we have to make sure leaders, and that's like especially exec, is firmly connected to the customer. Because I think as you'll find, like as companies get bigger, as you grow, as we grow, you know, the people who make a lot of decisions move further and further away from the customer. And it's like the people on the peripheral side of things that actually remain close to the feedback coming from the real world. So kind of coveting that feedback and making sure that it's kind of protected and continues to find its way to meaningful places is super important as you grow and scale. I think that's like how I think you keep customer service teams happy overall. Value their contribution, show it in your actions and your decision making, and provide ways that that feedback they're dealing with can go to useful places and solve problems.
0: Yeah, that's so important, and and it does become more challenging as you grow because, like you said, the people who are sort of ground level and dealing with customers day to day move further and further away from decision making. It's one of the great things about being a really small startup is that you know, like we were talking about before we started. The recording today, I was on a customer call this morning because our account manager wasn't available. It's really important because it allows me to get that firsthand feedback on you know, what was easy for them to understand, what was challenging, what they might have liked to have seen. But as you grow, the challenge is to have these processes in place and keep those lines of communication open so that that customer feedback is always making its way up to product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was employee number 16 here. So it's just very different being a company of 90 now than 16 as far as like the time I can spend really deep down in the little details versus nowadays, you know, I don't I don't get as much interaction directly with the customer as I would have three, four years ago. And so we have to find other ways to make sure we're bringing that important feedback and perspective into our planning and our products.
0: So I had the opportunity to visit your office and it's got it's got a great feel. It's a nice vibe there. How would you describe your company culture?
1: That's a good question. I mean, we've done a lot of work to like publish it like the hellsome way and our core values. But I mean, like if I really think about like what's really important to our culture, it is just like the we're in this together. We're figuring it out. There's room to make mistakes. We learn from them. And, you know, we just how to put it. It's just like it's like really just amazing people doing amazing work. And they're doing it side by side together on an adventure that probably none of us thought we would be on two years ago. That's a complicated question.
0: Hiring these days is is challenging. Are you finding it difficult to attract and retain great talent in Calgary these days?
1: It's interesting. Like it's definitely challenging from the standpoint of there's there's lots of competing ideas of like what work should be and what it looks like and how it interfaces with personal life and all that sort of stuff. You know, remote is part of that. You know, we were just we're not a full remote company, so that's kind of a challenge we've had to deal with. But I think you know we've we've also picked up some people who have been remote for a while and just like I want to be amongst people again. I hate sitting at home all day by myself, not connecting with others. So I think the challenges in the labor market will be more short term. And then, you know, either way, there'll be clarity around like, you know, some people will maybe value remote above all else, and that will be certain. And then others definitely want to be amongst their team members and here with, with their coworkers and making friendships and bonds that help them with their job. So while the short term seemed a little crazy, we've managed to kind of get through it and adapt. And like hybrid was a result of us kind of looking at the world and being like, okay, well, like this is just something that's part of our life now. How do we best implement a piece of it so that, you know, there is that balance for people who, you know, have things in their personal life, they want to make work as well. But also we continue to have that connection amongst our staff members. And so we've really found ourselves that way. And since we found ourselves and we've been like able to be really clear about who and what we are, I think our hiring's actually improved because we just can be very focused on like, Showing potential people who want to join us, like exactly what it's like to work here, and they can make a solid decision. And you know, going forward, that'll bring more stability to the team than there has been probably in the last last few months.
0: Tech in Calgary right now is just exploding, and there's just so much exciting things happening. And then, of course, there've been a lot of big announcements lately about you know larger players coming in. and And I hear people in tech talking about it from the point of view of you know, oh, it's just going to get more challenging to bring really great people in, but it. I think that, like you said, there's a short term and then there's a long term. In the short term, yeah, that might be a little bit true. But I think in the long term, what happens is that we're building an ecosystem here, and we're telling the world that Calgary is a great place to live if you want to work for you know innovative tech companies. And in the long term, that just means more people, more opportunity.
1: Yeah, and for us, our like our strategy on being really welcoming to juniors is an advantage because a lot of these companies are competing over like intermediate and senior you know talent and overlooking the juniors. And so for us, that's been really successful. And like, what I would do is I would go to the educational institutions and say, give me more amazing juniors because like overall, like we want to build this great ecosystem in Calgary, like you said, and that's going to be on the foundation of the great supply of talented, technically savvy workers. And the, the universities are doing a great job. Universities and colleges are doing a great job delivering those, and we just want more of them. And if you give us more juniors, we'll happily take them on.
0: I love hearing that too, as well, because I'm a parent of a few teens. I've got four kids. And if they want to leave Calgary and move all over the world and live in another city, that's fantastic. I don't want them to have to. I don't want them to feel like they need to leave the city in order to get good, meaningful work that is of interest to them.
1: Yeah. And I think we do our best to be in front of schools and whatnot. And we're going to amp that up in the new year as well, because I think part of the supply problem is also helping people see there is a future for it here. Because they won't choose to pursue it or pursue it here if they don't think there's a life for them in it afterwards. So I really think like for, this, for your, your four kids there, the best thing we can do is make sure that opportunity is visible. Because we've spent a fair bit of time in this city talking about how things aren't great for certain industries, right? When we should be kind of really doubling down on, you know, the narrative too of like, there's actually a lot of good things going on, both in traditional industries and new ones.
0: So other than, you know, the opportunity to go into the office and, you know, network and and make connections with people and be part of Halsum's mission to become a favorite payment processor, sorry, what was it? Most loved. Most loved. Yeah. So other than that, what else do, you know, your juniors love about working at Halsum? Do you do any fun events or, you know, community involvement or anything?
1: If I was going to put words in their mouth, it would be like, you know, we did events and whatnot kind of before COVID that's kind of taken a bit of a backseat. I think the biggest thing for them is working with other amazing people like we have a fantastic team and i think like key to culture and any team's happiness whether it's cx or anyone else it's going to be like a case of give them amazing people to work with surround them with talent and skill and creativity and they'll love it i think also for juniors a big thing is opportunity like as a quick scaling startup there is just more things that they're gonna have their hands in and like more things they can jump into and pick up skills quickly. And I think from that standpoint, like if a junior staff member craves anything, it's probably advancement, opportunity, and you know, feedback to continue driving their careers forward. And so we certainly work to provide that environment for them.
0: That's great. Okay, so thinking about customer service. And brands that really sort of define themselves on that issue, are there any that you sort of look up to or any that you take inspiration from, it doesn't have to be in tech or you know in the, in the same sort of realm as Heem, but any sort of consumer brands that you think are just sort of knocking it out of the park when it comes to customer experience? Oh, that's a good question.
1: I don't go out much these days, so it's hard to know. Like I can think of two examples, like buying a, a Tesla like is a really great experience. There's no nonsense. You kind of know exactly what you're getting. They teach you how to use it. Like it's just very straightforward and it removes the fatigue or like the hassle of traditional car shopping, which I kind of appreciated. But even then like hospitality industry, like yeah, I was I was at a conference once at a Ritz Carlton hotel and I this is all sounds very bougie. Don't worry, there was a great rate for being at the conference, right? But like something in the room happened and they just took care of it and they they made it so you wouldn't have to think about it. They treated you well and and they just solved the problem. So as far as like customer service goes, I mean, I kind of come to those places as far as like, you know, what were the key aspects of what did I really appreciate about that service? I wasn't left wondering what was going on. They lived up to their expectations. They simplified it as much as they could. I think those are key, I think, in customer service. Yeah.
0: It's funny because we were talking before about consistency and expectation as well. And a lot of it doesn't come down to, you know, are there going to be swans on the pillowcase or, you know, like the most expensive chocolate beside the bed for a snack before I lay my head down? Or you know any of these sort of like really special, unique, over-the-top gestures, but really comes down more to like, am I going to get what I expect to get? And is it going to be consistent? Is it going to be the same as what I got last time? Or am I going to be disappointed? Because people don't really like sort of, you know, feeling like they're going to the casino when, when they go out to eat, for example, and not knowing exactly what they're going to get.
1: I think that's so key to great customer experience is build your products and your service to them in mind, but then you live up to what you say you're going to do. I think that's like, I've said it before, but the key thing to great customer service is kind of like mutual understanding and education and living up to expectations.
0: Or even living down to them. I remember when I was in my 20s, I lived in Buenos Aires. And there was this restaurant that my friends loved to go to. And the service was so terrible. I mean, it was out of this world terrible. They brought you what they wanted to bring you, not what you asked for. They really only had three menu items and red wine. (laughs) And they would bring it in different orders. So like, you know, you'd order wine and a steak and some French fries. And you might get the French fries first and get the wine later. And, you know, if you complained about it, it was kind of like, well, you know, whatever. And it was terrible, but it was consistently terrible to the point that it was kind of funny. And I didn't actually think it was that funny. My friends thought it was funnier than I did. But I think what they really liked about it is that the waiters were kind of like, they would sort of make fun of you and sort of blow you off. And, you know, they would kind of joke around, but that was consistent. So even though the service wasn't great, it was consistently not great. And I think that that's a lot of what people are looking for is they just want to know what I can expect it doesn't necessarily have to be the best, but I want to know, you know. Not that I'm suggesting that restaurants should offer that kind of service, but they want to know what they can expect from that brand.
1: Yeah, that's it. Live up to your brand. Like if that's the brand you've made for yourself, mm-hmm. then yeehaw, embrace it and go for it. You can be successful that way, and that's just the thing: is just be who you say you're going to be and do what you say you're going to do.
0: Okay, so obviously it's a different world. Um, you've been at Healthsim for a while, and the world's changing. I mean, it's changing rapid, fast social media, obviously, online reviews is becoming, you know, more and more and more important. Is that something that Helson pays attention to? What platforms are you on and how much listening do you do?
1: That's a complicated one. I've spent a good time thinking about this topic. Maybe we'll go a little deeper than you want to on this one, but it's just a case of like, ultimately, as a business, our job from a marketing standpoint and getting to our customers is to be where they expect to find us, right? So At the moment, that's a range of places. It's social media, it's the internet, it's phone, it's in the local community. Like It is a balance of different things. We leverage all of those tools to kind of be in front of our customers and make it easy for them to interact with us because we don't want there to be unnecessary hurdles placed around their interactions with us. Part of being loved is communicating and talking to each other. As far as social media platforms go, I think there's a lot of controversy around those right now. Like, you know, like, are they good? Are they bad overall? You know, there's a lot of questions around overall harm to society and especially young people. And it's that really, really weighs on my mind because it's, it's tricky because you've almost got to be there to exist in a business like these platforms have become less of a service and more of almost a tax on small and medium sized businesses, because if you're not on them, like how do people find you? And there's, there's not a lot of competition in the services. So like you're kind of forced to go to these big players and pay them a bunch of money just so your business can exist and you can get attention. But it comes with this negative externality of like the, the harm that it can be doing to young people and other people in society. And so like I was I was looking recently at like Lush getting rid of their social media presence. And it's like I admire that in a way because I wish that these channels didn't come with a social cost, like a societal cost on them. And so ultimately, I think they can be good. I do think like social media can be good. It, it can bring people together and it can share ideas. And it, it is a way like for businesses to kind of punch above their weight potentially because they can go get exposure that would have been harder to get in a time before social media. I just think there needs to be more competition in the industry. And I think there needs to be concerted efforts to make it a safe, quality platform for all of, all of its users. So me as a business or any other business don't have to like have this like weight or this like should I or shouldn't I kind of feeling about doing it because we know that the platforms support healthy habits and aren't exposing users to potential harm.
0: Right. I think in the case with Lush, uh, my perception of their brand, at least, is that they really cater to a younger audience. So, you know, in my opinion, it seems like maybe a different level of responsibility in terms of what they are comfortable with their customers being exposed to, whereas, you know, Halsam is more B2B. So, you know, your consumers of any of your content are obviously going to be in a different age group.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's certainly that aspect to it. I just think there's still that like you're giving revenue to these entities that still do exert some harm over certain sects of society and whether it's young people or, you know, people who don't have other places to like check the source of the information they're reading, that sort of thing. Like I just it's that catch-22 on it, even if it's not necessarily harming our users directly, it's still like the fees we pay to them go to a service that still hasn't kind of cleaned up this side of their business. And then it's the competitive side where it's just like it's gotten to the point where like if our small and medium-sized business customers want to exist, they kind of have to pay these fees to these one or two big players when you know, a little bit of competition in the marketplace might bring better costs better ways forward and might provide the incentive for these platforms to clean it up because, you know, now they're competing with each other on a, on a societal good side as well.
0: So do you think we'll, we'll see some more competition there? Are we going to see some new platforms emerging?
1: I hope so. I feel like if we, if we get this right, like anything, like there's great potential for wonderful things to happen. And it's, it's not like it's all bad, like I was saying. It's just how that competition emerges with such big players. And there's going to have to be, I think, some form of intervention in that space to encourage it. I'm crossing my fingers, though. It's like anything, like, you know, whenever there's a new invention it comes with positive and negative externalities. And as a society, we've been pretty good historically at embracing the positive and regulating out the negative. And I think we just need to do the same thing with these new technologies.
0: Does Halsem engage quite a bit on social media with our customers? Do you have sort of a community of users?
1: Yeah, I think that the key thing for us on social media is we use it as a way to kind of just get in front of our people. But we we don't do a lot of direct support or conversation through social. We really use it to kind of like let them know where we are and how they can best get a hold of us. So through our phone number, our website, what have you, That there's there's more interaction going through that system.
0: Rob, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks so much for being a guest. And we'll have information about how to connect with Halsome and with you on the show notes. Thanks so much for being on.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks, Shannon, for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to 1 billion raving fans. If you enjoyed listening, please follow or subscribe and tell a friend. Visit www.waitwell.ca to download a tip sheet you can use to create 1 billion raving fans for your business. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.